Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Mo Mentum. And we are 40-year Wall Street analysts who have taken on secret identities and gone underground in order to provide you with a couple of stock ideas each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air. So we've disguised our voices and they'll never know. This week, it's our 300 and something show, 303. It's June 22nd, 2020. And we've got three terrific ideas. But before we get to that, some important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, uh, Mo and I are professional analysts and portfolio managers during the week. And here we've been careful to uh, do absolutely no research at all. Our motto, or mine is, do as little work as possible. Third, we do not have your interests in mind. We just have our own personal interests in mind. Certainly do your own homework. And fourth, and I can only speak for myself, I'm sad to say this week, I've been heavily drinking. See all our caveats, disclosures, pictures our moms took at www.thevalueguys.com. And thanks for listening in. Uh, so, Mo, another week, another week of the stock market. What do you think of that? I think you should uh, tell us what the market did this week. Uh, you know, I'm not that sure. I try to stay out of that day to day. But I do have, um, I do want to say a couple of things about that, Mo. First of all, the value guys have been uh, doing shows since 2006. And we navigate a lot of treacherous waters professionally. Here on the show, we're drinking. So what have you. But I will say that we have uh, been a little bit, um, you know, scarce the last few years. Mo has his reasons for that. I have mine. But really, no one's needed the value, guys, Mo. The market's been strong and people could throw darts and pick good stocks. It hasn't been very hard. I mean, who's had trouble with stock picking? Anybody? But now, but now that it's getting a little more complicated. Yeah, more complicated. So we've had a lot of calls. Yep. Come back. So here we are. And so just to get people like, where are we? We're back, but where are we? Okay. I got a few, a little bit of information here I want to share with the listeners. It's not a lot of information. Don't want to go overboard, but just year to date performance, Mo. Like, where are we? Right. So I just want to share with the listeners uh, how many categories uh, are up. We run, we look at about 20 different asset classes here just to be aware of what's going on here in the shop. And uh, how many asset classes, I'm just going to list all the asset classes that are up year to date. All 20? Uh, I'm sorry, a little scared. No, there's just a handful. That was comedy. I didn't say anything. Okay. Well, here they are, year to date. Here's one that you're not going to guess. And we're equity guys. The best performing asset class year to date, it's June 22nd, 2020, is the... 10 to 20 years, intermediate treasury bond up 16.5%, which of course is due to rate declines, right? Yep. It's probably got a, I'm, I'm just, it's a, it's an ETF I'm looking at, but it's probably got a, a 10 or 12 year duration and it's, it's up. Uh, then the Vanguard long-term bond, same idea. Number three, iShares core US bond. Number four, the Schwab short-term bond. 
Number five, Barclays one to three month T-bills. I mean, how embarrassing for equity people. We're not on, they've been on the list, Mo. What is the worst? You go to the bottom. What's the worst? I mean, that's where you have to go to find things I like. They're at the bottom of this. That's why we need the value, guys. Okay. What is the worst performing asset? Let's go to the bottom. Let's. Yeah. Okay, you're asking just the right question. All right. What is the worst? And nothing personal for you people that do this professionally. We all have our bad days, right, Mo? I mean, but the worst year to day. This is according to a well-known firm that I don't want to pay that starts with an M. Okay. Now, minus 35%, that's the iShares S&P GSCI, which I think is a Goldman Sachs uh, at one time. It's probably been sold a few times. A lot of brand names on this one. But the Commodity Index Trust, uh, I don't have the ticker for you on that, or do I? No, I don't have it. But it's an down easy 35%. Down 35%. The next worst performing one. And uh, they must be so thrilled that they're outperforming the uh, the other one. This is the Invesco commodity tracking. That's down 22%, Mo. Again, wow, ouch, right. Then we move into, uh, I mean, these are not having good time. Then the Bloomberg commodity, the UBS E-Tracks, Bloomberg commodity total returns. These ETFs are getting longer names than law firms nowadays, Mo. I mean, so the, uh, so, the, so the, the bottom of the list is all the commodities. At the top of the list is the bonds. Well, and then number five to the bottom, the Vanguard small cap value ETF, Mo. Ooh, there, is, that's, in your, that's in your wheelhouse. Well, now we're getting to why you need value, guys, is that they've been terrible. <clears throat> now, we are fortunate enough in the shop to be doing you know, quite a bit better than that, but we're still down. And uh, the other terrible performing... You know, asset classes are all your favorite equity asset classes. Um, the you know, high dividends has been kind of a theme during these low interest rate times. People looking for dividends, dividend yield in an equity fund. Well, okay, so hey, I'm getting a three percent yield. Okay, how's your three percent yield? Yeah, too bad your principal's down sixteen <laughs> percent. How's your yield doing? <laughs> Oops. So, um, you know, and then the mid caps are bad. I have to look away, Mo. This is so bad. The Schwab mid caps down 11 percent. Vanguard developed markets. That's Europe and other places that have running water. Uh, That's down 11 percent. Emerging markets have done better, down just 10. But it's all bad, Mo. It's all bad. Well, Something equity wise has got to be doing relatively well if if it's not Um, bonds. So I, I don't know. The only thing I'm seeing that's up is is bonds, but I do think that the NASDAQ, which I don't have here, I'm just looking at asset classes. I think the NASDAQ is positive right now. I don't have that up. And uh, the S&P 500 had been positive briefly a few weeks ago, but now back negative. Hmm. Anyway, uh, so that's just a little review of recent markets. It's terrible. You need the value, guys. Please tune in. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. And uh, I think we're in uh, Kroger also. Uh, but let me turn it over to Momentum. I know there's a lot going on on the street and other places. Uh, and Mo is here with a little bit of Wall Street news. Mo. Well, you know, one of the things I wanted to segue into is uh, one of the names that I had come up with over the, over the last week. Um, I guess we could call this Hot 
from the yacht. <laughs> from the yacht. Is that a new section we're going to have? Uh... It's just where I got this. I got an interesting stock tip. And um, over the weekend, I did a, I did a, a you know, you know, a, a walkathon is right. You do it for MS. Yeah, I have heard of that. But... Well, they had a in Palm Beach. They had a 5K for 5K. So it was a 5K walk if you raised 5K. Mm-hmm. So for, for five thousand dollars, you got to you got to do this 5K walkathon on uh, the Lady Mora, which is a yacht. How many and, times uh, do you have to walk around the deck? To get well, to 5K, just a few loops. probably. Two loops. Yeah. Two loops, <laughs> two loops is a quarter mile. <laughs> so you do 20, you do 24 loops, and that's your that's your, your 10K. There are 13 bedrooms on this. It's actually, I, I don't know where, where where you stop calling it a yacht and you call it a ship, but of course it's a it's I can't say whose it was, but it's it's a Russian name. Um and it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's how, that's how we do it down. Does it start with a P, Mo, the name? I mean, I know you can't say, but. It starts with an S. An S. Huh. But, so. I think I know. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing this walkathon and I'm uh, talking with a couple of people and they're, you know, they're chatting all sorts of things. Some, some of the things that they've been investing in. Um, and, and, and I came up with a, with a stock name that might actually work for some of our listeners. Now I had mentioned it to you before the show, and I don't know if you would call it a growth stock or a value stock. Well, I mean, given how you found a, found the name, I would prefer not to be speaking about it at all, actually. So I'll just, (laughs) uh, I mean, it sounds like a wonderful stock from a wonderful man. Um, I can't say enough good things about it, uh, given its source. Um, but uh, no, uh, so that's, I mean, it, it looks a bit like a growth stock to me, uh, Mo, quite honestly. Very interesting. And all kidding aside, um, it's a legitimate company with uh, some very interesting uh, products. The fact that you heard it in passing from a guy whose name we can't say, I think is just background, backgroundy. I don't know, that's all. On a boat that we can't identify yeah. in a harbor that we can't talk about. None of that even matters. It's the essence of the idea. I well, think and you've done, it sounds like you've done a lot of serious research on this one, Mo. I mean, um, well, I, I was asking people, is there a Corona, is there a coronavirus play? You know, what, what's going to benefit from coronaviruses? And, and somebody said, there's a, there's a name that I think you should look at and It's called Chewy. Chewy. And, uh, the ticker symbol is C-H-W-Y, and it's a pet food company. And I'm like, how is a pet food company a coronavirus play? And they said, well, there's two things. One, this is a, this is a pet food company that you, you buy a subscription from, and they deliver the pet food to your door. And they said, obviously, there's been a big surge in e-commerce because of the virus. And so, I mean, that's a, that's a nice sort of tailwind for this company. But they also said that with sheltering in place, pet adoptions are up through the roof. And so there's been this trend. And I think you mentioned that you knew about this, that people are now considering their pets sort of members of the family? Well, there's been a trend. I mean, I owned VCA uh, even a decade ago. I'm sure there's some old shows on it, but the humanization of pets, it's called. And it's it's related to demographics. 
and older people, you know, men die early, not, you know, I'm not rooting for that, but a lot of older women end up wanting pets. You know, we, we saw it come through, you know, airlines were allowing emotional pets. So taking care of your pet, like it's a, a companion rather than a, you know, something that's, you know, disposable has been a big trend. Um, and so the money spent to keep the healthy uh, companion is, is really seeing a lot of progress over the years. And it's, it's still, um, one of the targets, some of the professionals in this space look at, I, you know, I've owned it, but there's analysts that go deep. Evidently in the UK, they spend a giant wad of money on their pets. And so in America, we're a long way from that. And, you know, it's something that um, people may see coming over time. It, it's it's a nice trend. Well, Val, here's, here's a number that's pretty amazing. Last year, Americans spent $490 million on Halloween costumes for their pets. <laughs> Well, we'll do that next week. Halloween costumes for pets. That's in a that's a growth industry. Um, so, so well, yeah. It's so a big, it's a pet, it's a pet food company. It delivers to your door, and there's a there's a you're, you're capitalizing on a paradigm shift that may be taking place in retail, which is the virus. You know, triggers you to start buying things online, having it delivered to your door, and when the virus, if the virus is ever you know, eradicated, presumably you'll continue to have these subscriptions. You'll continue to have stuff delivered to your door. And I got to tell you, we're, we're participating in the Amazon challenge. Um, and it, and it, you know, the, the, the Amazon challenge for those that, that aren't involved in it is, can you go one week without ordering something from Amazon? And I've made it for four days so far. A week is very difficult. Yeah, so uh, we get everything we need from Amazon um, or Instacart. So yeah, if uh, if both of those were gone, <clears throat> so so it's so this is a this a go back to to Chewy for a second. It's a pet food company. They're 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 you buy a subscription, they deliver it to your door. You're buying pet food. You're it's a high quality pet food. So if you're if you're gonna if you're buying your pet a Halloween costume and you're taking your pet out to, to dinner at night and he's got, you know, uh, leisure wear and athletic wear for when you take him for a walk, you're probably going to want to have high quality pet food for him. And so when I'm when I'm looking for a story, uh, I, I like to see two things. I like to see something that's got a small share of a big market. So they've got market share that they can capture. And I like to see some barriers to entry. And the first question I asked as we were walking around the yacht, was um, what are the barriers to entry? I mean, you set up a website, you sell people pet food. And uh, th this was, I didn't realize this. They said that in, um, in Google, you have advertising keywords. So if you're a company like Chewy and you've got literally billions of revenues, billions of revenues, um, and you've got millions of customers. These guys have five billion in sales. Um, you're going to come up at the top of the list when people are Googling in high quality pet food delivered to my door. Yeah. And so if you're a smaller company, you're not an Amazon and you're not a Chewy, you're just not going to have that. So yeah. they have that, yeah. have that barrier to entry, which is pretty substantive. Then my next question is, how do you, how do you compete with a company like Amazon? And they said, 
you get it. I mean, this is a $5 billion company that does handwritten welcome cards when you, when you sign up for the service. If your pet gets, if your pet gets sick, they send you sympathy cards. This is, this is a company that focuses entirely on you and your pet. So Amazon is great, but they're a little impersonal. Well, not only that, they don't have the uh, expertise in pets. So these guys are clearly, you know, they want to be opinion leaders in pets. Um, I don't own this, and it's interesting, and you know why, Mo. It's because it's too expensive. doesn't look like a value. Now, what I will say, though, is you are dead on with all the trends. We, In fact, in the shop, and again, this may be in old shows, I forget, but we owned pet meds for many years. It was a direct marketing pet food and pet meds, pet medicine. But once you got the meds, then you trust them for everything else. You know, if you're, if you're going to trust them for meds, you might trust them for the dog costume at Halloween, you know, it's a low bar. So they got very big and it got too expensive. I love the direct marketing angle, which these guys also have. You can target pet owners. You know, it used to be that half your ad dollars were wasted. You didn't know which half. Now it's no, we know exactly. You can target pet owners through the things that they buy, the magazines, the trade magazines they own, the conventions they go to, the things they say on Facebook. So it's so so easy now to find people that might need your product. And what Chewy did um, versus pet meds was all the things you're saying right now. They became like the friend, your friend, your trusted friend. And I think um, a lot of advertising in the last few years, a lot of emotional appeals uh, just think about the mattresses, your Caspers of the world, your Subaru ads. It's not about the product anymore. It's about the love or the, the good feelings. And so they are beating pet meds on all of these sort of PE types of things in terms of the good feelings. But here's where a value guy comes out on this thing, Mo. Even though it might go up a lot, like value guys didn't own Walmart while it went up uh, because it was too expensive. These guys, now they've grown the top line enormously. They were at 100 million in 2017. Now they're 5 billion. Now there was an acquisition in there, but also a lot of rapid growth. But they're falling right into the Amazon model. They might not have the trust of the Amazon customer for pet foods, and that makes sense. But on the, uh, the model, you know, they've never made money. Their margins are negative. Uh, their return on equity is negative. Um, they, they, they bleed cash, um, because they're putting it back into growth in this direct marketing channel. The more money you pop into Facebook ads and all kinds of direct marketing, email campaigns, et cetera, then your, your, your customers grow and hopefully you sell off to some, you become a unicorn and sell. These guys are on that track right now. And, and you can uh, see it in the revenue growth. Well, they're putting up the revenue growth. And so, so, so here's a here's a question where you get to show off your your um your superhuman analytical skills. Okay. I'm gonna read you the revenue growth going from 2017 or let's say 2018 to the trailing 12 month, and you right now on the spot are gonna do a forecast for next year. You ready? Well, you know, guess the dividend was a big popular uh, you know part of the show over the years. Is this a new, is like a guess the revenue? Is that what we're, I don't even, I'm not prepared. When you guess do the revenue? It's okay. not even a guess. It's All just, right, let's try. Let's go for it. Super humans. Okay, you ready? Okay. Let's try. Are you ringing? Let's. Okay. 2000, 2018. Yeah. 
Two billion. Two billion, yep. 2019. Yep. Three billion. Yep. 2020. 2020, yep. Four billion. Trailing 12 months. Five billion. Yep. Okay, now <clears throat> I realize that's a pretty complicated. Okay, wait a minute. <clears throat> Let me if you um, run that through one of your algorithms. Um, well, what's the next number? I just want to have the caveat that I honestly have no idea, but I'm going to just make a guess that I think is pretty good. I'm going to say six billion. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. We've been running these numbers for almost a week. And we came up, and you just did it. That, um, that's why you are. What did your team come up with, Mo? That's where you are. That's, that's why you they are. They got six billion? Wow. You came up with six billion. It took us <clears throat> a lot longer, obviously. Well, I asked my pet. They're on some of their higher-level uh, foods that in yep. expands their brain growth. So um, he heard us speaking, little Marco, and he came over. That was his guess, honestly, Mo. This stuff's amazing. Uh, so here on a, <clears throat> I wouldn't say serious note, quasi serious note. Here, quasi, here, here's a twenty. That wasn't serious. What I was saying, Marco did not actually do that. I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Twenty years. Twenty years. The, pet, the, the 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 industry grows at four percent a year. Sixty percent of that goes to online. Chewy gets half of that. Thirty-five billion in sales. That's seven times where they are today. I think that's a sustainable trend. I, I tell you what, I really do think there's a paradigm shift in shopping. I mean, I, I'm buying stuff. I agree with you completely. Yeah. I'm, bu I'm buying stuff on Amazon that I used to just go down to the hardware store and buy something. And the hardware store is a five-minute drive from here. And I just buy it on Amazon. It's basically the same price. It shows up the next morning. And the more you get used to doing that, the more you say, now, why would I go to a grocery store and buy, buy dog food if they're going to deliver right to my front door? Well, it even goes, I mean, it, it's just the course of history. If there's things that are faster and cheaper, that's how the economy grows. So think of all the people that now have got that hour or two in their day, particularly older people that never really got going with some of these opportunities on the internet. They never used online banking. They never used Spotify. And all of a sudden they can't go to their record store. They can't go to their bank. You've trained. I mean, to me, what comes out of this uh, lockdown is you've trained billions of people that may have never come to it. It would have taken much longer. Like the, the path from the rotary phone to the dot, to the push button phone. That took 20 years when you go and look at these uptake curves, records to cassettes to DVD, you know, CDs. This was a worldwide instant move from physical to online. And it's yeah. gonna, I can't even think of all, we're in the shop trying to think of all the ramifications of that, Mo. I can't even think of it. It's, it, it blows up your brain when you try to imagine the whole world has been lurched into a new paradigm. So to run that, to run that by, I think CHWY $50 stock um, may look expensive, but it's a great story. They got a moat. So they've got protection in terms of barriers to entry. They got a small share of a huge market. They got a nice tailwind. Um, so, you know me, I'm more of a story guy than a value guy, but I kind of like this longer term. And let's face it, when a guy with a 700 foot long boat 
tells you that he owns it, eh, it's worth looking at. Definitely worth looking at, even if you can't say his name. And even so, you know, one of the things I talked about last week, I think, was because a value guy, um, the way to beat value guys is to be a smarter value guy. And so you can't be a knee-jerk, oh, what have you. So on something like this, when a guy in a suit that's a color that's not fashionable at all, and so you know he's getting away with it because he's smart, when he gives you an idea, you just look for the holes in it. And the one in this is they're not making money, et cetera. But here's what is happening. The incremental, the incremental growth in assets, the incremental sales growth, the margins are negative but they're getting less negative at an accelerating rate. Um, The EPS is negative, but it's getting less negative at an accelerating rate. So they're moving toward that break-even point at some point. And, um, I mean, even a value guy uh, can buy growth. You just don't want to overpay. The trick about this or any of these that don't earn money is it's hard to know if you're overpaying. So the analysis you just went through, Mo, looking at the market itself, addressable market, and who's out there. And for pet food, I'm sure there's a lot of Kroger pet food at the low bottom end. These guys are out with an emotional appeal. Again, I can't buy it because of the, you know, it's so negative cash flow. But um, Amazon was negative cash flow a long time. And these guys are striking some type of emotional nerve that is allowing them to wildly gain share fast. And, I and, think, uh, and when you're competing against Amazon, you, you, need to, you need to come up with some way to compete with them. And yeah. what Amazon is not going to do is send your pet a birthday card. <laughs> well said. Okay. Well, I'm in, but only as an observer. I'm so you had, a, you had a, a couple of names. You, yeah, you just, I you, did. Well, we did um, a couple different screens this week, and um, you know, momentum screen, which uh, that was a nice one to pull off of that. Although you had a screen of guys with big boats, which is nice. My screen uh, <clears throat> was just a traditional uh, relative value screen. The truth is, I don't like a lot of metrics around my screens. I basically like an inbox of things that have a good probability to, you know, have a winner. I mean, just like when you go fishing, um, which pond you choose doesn't guarantee a fish, but go where there's more fish. So this was a relative valuation, relative value, relative growth, relative uh, return on investment. And um, we started with about a hundred. I always sort of shrink it down by improving the balance sheet. Uh, One thing a value guy needs is a lot of running room. And so we, and, and Mo, you looked at a few of these too, and we kind of came to two uh, this week. They're a little bit COVIDy. I mean, again, value guys, you need some value. This, the market, as we talked about earlier, still down a lot. Um, the market goes up 10% a year on average. <clears throat> so it might not be this year, but it catches up. That's the thing about an average. 10% average means it catches up. So if it's down, down 10, there's an up 20 coming at some point. So there's still some opportunity created by the fear and the disruptions of the COVID lockdown. And we had two this week. One was uh, uh, Robert Half, which is a, uh, you know, uh, basically a a recruiting firm, a uh, 
it, it helps you uh, staff your team. <clears throat> and then HCA, a hospital, which, again, you know, common sense might say, hey, a pandemic, that might be good for hospitals. But by scaring everyone to stay home, um, even from, you know, medical procedures, hospitals, there's a lot of hospitals that are actually in a lot of trouble, particularly regional, small, single owner type hospitals. And so a big public firm like HCA um, is advantaged. One of the things public stock gives you is a currency you can print. You can print by calling Morgan Stanley and having them sell stock for you. So uh, those are the two we went through uh, this week, Mo. And um, I don't know if you have a favorite I could do. Well, on. I have a question for you. Were, yeah. you ever, were you ever approached by Robert Kaff? Um, I was not, you know, that's not the sort of firm. Robert Half has a particular target <clears throat> and they're a big firm. So you can imagine they shoot at the big job classifications. So face it, Mo, we're in a field that there's like a thousand people. So they don't make any money doing that. Uh, they go for the big C-suites um, and um, middle management and they have their specialties. But I would say Robert Half is more middle management type of positions, your everyday people. For small business that doesn't have an HR department, you can just plug into Robert Half and uh, make sure all your divisions have the right amount of people in them and all that. So um, so no, I wasn't. But um, we used to hire people from Robert Half. I mean, over the years, we would get, um, we would get help from Robert Half. It particularly was... You know, you need an accountant uh, right. for something. You need, a, you know, not so much lawyers, but um, administrative staff. You need a programmer to do something for you or, you know, IT. Back in the, back in the this is dating us, but we do, we are 40-year veterans. Um, back in around 1980-81, they had a Wall Street division that, that targeted analysts. And if really? You know, no, they, maybe I didn't get a call because, uh, did you get a call, Mo? Oh yeah, well here's here's what. Wow. Okay, well, the, the listeners may not. A lot. When you're a, when you're a headhunter, when you're a recruiter, you, you tend to have an industry expertise. You you you're you're looking at either CEOs or you're looking at accountants or you're looking at sell side analysts. And in 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 our case, it was sell side analysts. It was a pretty small world, and everyone knew who this headhunter was. So that headhunter, who was a woman, couldn't leave her name because. Because if the receptionist said, Roberta, and I'm not going to use her last name, was calling you, everyone would know that it was a headhunter and that you were looking for a job. So this headhunter was looking for me, but couldn't leave her real name at the reception desk, couldn't leave her real name with my secretary and kept leaving fake names. And I wasn't returning the phone call. That's so hilarious. Well, Roberta didn't call me, Mo. That explains a lot. That's why you're on the yacht and I'm here in a basement. Well, I think it was, I think they were looking for people in New York City on the sell side that were institutional all-stars. But so that was a fairly small <laughs> world. But everyone knew who this woman was. And so she tracked me down and waited for about six hours in the lobby of my apartment building because she couldn't be seen with anyone on Wall Street because everyone knew if you were talking with this woman, there was a good chance you were thinking about jumping ship. And you certainly didn't want anyone to know that. So, uh, yeah, that's that. That's it's a it's a fascinating. It's a. Fasc I did not know that. Are they still doing that? I'm still not getting called by them. 
I got to believe that in, in niche businesses that they're still doing it. And I got to believe that if you're, if you're a headhunter and you're calling somebody, you want them to be the next, you know, CEO of a company, you're not leaving your name at the desk. How do you get in touch with those people? I mean, everyone knows who you are. Well, that's a good point. I, um, and there was an email, so you couldn't send an email really. And people didn't have home addresses. I'm anyway, look- that's a little, that's an aside, but let's, let's talk about the stock. <clears throat> Well, I'm first looking up in my database, Roberta, seeing if I have a Roberta in here. Um, maybe I didn't return her call, but of course, she wouldn't have left the name Roberta. Exactly. Oh, well. Um, well, I don't know. I guess it turned out. Um, okay, so Robert Half. I didn't even know about their Wall Street division. <coughs> Excuse me. But here's what I like about it. Let's just get right to the meat of it. First, it's... It's down a lot, but it's kind of recovered, but now it's down. Um, It's, um, you know, they're tied into the growth of the economy. It's going to be stable. People need workers. Um, They're going to tend to be outsourcing, particularly in this environment. There'll be more outsourcing going on than historically. Um, And, you know, they they got a PE of 13 times. That's price earnings. And, you know, the yield on that, if you do the inverse, is around 6%, 1 over 13. If you use enterprise value to EBITDA, which I prefer as a yield comparison among asset classes, that's 8.3 times, which, again, the inverse, just off the top of my head here, is what? 12, 13% cash on cash return. If you don't like DNA because it's offset by CapEx, well, okay, who knows? I don't think Robert Half has a lot of CapEx. But if you prefer EBIT, that's nine times. So even still, it's 11 times cash on cash. They're going to grow with GDP at a minimum because people need workers and workers kind of grow with GDP. So you're into a, you know, 15, 16 percent return expectation, which is pretty good. I look at their free cash flow. It's positive and uh, And they pay a dividend. They pay a dividend. You know, I just think that. When you look for a way to play COVID, and again, I'm a value guy, so I'm not looking for the biotech that's going to invent it because I'd rather just go buy a lottery ticket. You know, the odds are maybe better for the lottery ticket. So I like things that you're pretty sure about. And so, again, I had a a favorite mentor who, um, you know, the best research is sometimes the easiest research, even while everyone's trying to impress you with how smart they are sometimes. You know, how simple things are are sometimes the right answer. So um, on this one, it's kind of like, well, will uh, companies need workers? Yes, is the answer. Okay. Yeah. Unless they're going to be recruiting computers, which I don't think. Well, if they're recruiting computers, then some very smart capitalists are going to be recruiting those freed up workers for other tasks that because they're out of work and whatever they were, they're willing to do cheaply. For example, there's a big company in our industry, Mo, Morningstar. You know them. They're fabulous. I love them. They provide a lot of wonderful value. The reason they're able to provide value is that our industry got a little carried away with compensation. So guys like you and me, Mo, you remember those years we had to to keep the compensation wagon going, you had to make a few moves because things were changing up. One of the things that was changing up was Morningstar was hiring accountants who are very comfortable earning less money. 
So businesses that provide value, they're always looking for a cheaper, faster, better way to do things. And I think that, um, that that's part of the idea you were talking about, online ordering, cheaper, faster, better. Um, and so um, I think that's part of what drives history is that constant effort to find cheaper, faster, better. Um, now, now there is a, you know, guess the revenue here is a, this, this is sort of very unmomentum like because I'm looking at their revenues starting from 2014 and it's 5 billion, 5 billion in 2015, 5 billion in 2016, 5 billion. In well, they're not growing the revenue. And, 5 billion um, in 2018. Yeah, it's not a. It's, it's more, not a mo kind of a name, of course. It's not a mo. Um, and of course, you know, one of the things that you got to remember when you're looking at total returns, I always ask interns, are you a value or a growth? Because we're value. And there was a time when value was the same for everyone. Like growth people want a 20% return, so do value people. It's not, it's more of a perspective than any other thing. It's certainly not. Um, more than that, everyone wants a good return. And the other thing for people to remember is that the way Russell creates value indices is they simply use price to book as a primary metric. And on the 52-week high of that stock, it's likely to be in the growth category. On the 52-week low of that stock, it's likely to be in the value category. So these things all move around. Um, we all want to get great companies gaining share that are, you know, continuing to grow at a low price. And I think the thing to remember is that value and growth, they both want a good return. It's just how do you get there? On the value side, I guess, again, I ask interns, no one knows. But how do I come out? If more of your expected return is in a cash on cash return, corner money in the hand kind of a thing, cash flow over enterprise value or EBITDA as a metric. And then the other part is in growth. And I don't know how you feel about that, Mo, but when you think of a total return, which might be, you know, in this world, 10, 15, I still try to shoot for 20. But how do you think about the mix of total return um, in a PE versus E construct? I mean, are you assuming a flat PE and your whole return will be in the E growth? Or are you at the point of time you sell a deal still talking to management about a little bit of PE expansion? I, I think when, when we're on this show, I want to swing for the fences. And so PE and E, that, you know, when you start looking at that and you start quibbling about could this go up 5% or could I want to I want to look at something where I figure if I got a 10 bagger and I'm totally wrong, at least I get a double. Yeah. And so when, you, when you're in that zip code, you're probably not looking at E or even PE. You're looking at something really big and, and like a, with a chewy. You just think, I don't know, could it be a hundred dollar stock? That's what I'm shooting for. And and you got to suspend belief and close your eyes and buy it and just assume that at some point it will have an E and at some point it'll have a PE, but we're not going to worry about those technicalities. <laughs> we it's just need a lot of people to freaking buy it. Well, you know, one of the things that's changed since you and I have been in the business, Mo, 
is again, you used to pitch deals and you know, you had a whole career doing that very successfully. I did it about half and I've been on the other side for the other half or it's getting to be longer now. But back in the old day, when you would go to pitch a deal, the people you were selling to, like they needed to see E on the page at some point. It's like, yeah, they've lost some money, but here's what's happening. We're now guiding them and we're geniuses. And so we're going to teach them and they're going to have earnings and it's coming soon. But now it can be, oh, no, they're never going to make money. And that's the beauty of it. And it was only the recent collapse of WeWork and, and, and maybe even a little bit of Uber that sort of got everyone to go, hey, wait a minute, maybe E matters. But PE had a long run. It did have a long run. And, you know, I, I, when I started my career, the very first industry that we started taking public was the cable television industry. And no one could figure out why you would buy something that didn't have earnings. And we tell people, do you want to show earnings? If you can not show earnings and not pay taxes to the government and save your money and reinvest it in your business, wouldn't you do that? And they're like, well, yeah, I would do that. <laughs> And so that was how, that was the get around and cable TV was really, it was the first industry that was sold on a, on a big scale to institutional investors with no earnings. And that paved the way for the cellular telephone industry, which also showed no earnings. And right. uh, after those two industries and the booming success of those two industries, which didn't show earnings for years and years, yeah. That kind of opened up the door to the dot-com boom. And now people aren't as, I mean, earnings are still important for a value guy. It's important, but it's, it's not anywhere near as hard of a sell as it was in 1982, 1983, when people looked at you cross-eyed because you were taking a company public with no earnings. Yeah, no, that's been a big transformation over our careers, Mo. And uh, yeah, you were right there with it and you've seen that happen. And even this little sort of pullback with uh, WeWork, um, it's still not where it was, where, you know, Amazon did teach people that trying to build scale, um, you know, might be worth going out a few years with earnings. And, um, and the thing about it is that with the accountants willing to write off assets and with a cash flow being delinked from earnings in the minds of investors, um, it, it was a way to grow a lot of industries that uh, grew to scale fast. And I don't want to, you know, over-exaggerate the, the reality of it, but it could be that that very element of teaching investors about the long term, you don't need earnings today, um, you can build scale and then you'll be low cost in the future. I mean, that that's been working big for some of these big tech guys. So you look at Google, Facebook, uh, they've all displaced uh, LinkedIn. I mean, all these big nationally and globally scaled companies in their early years, they were given, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to, to go without earning money in part because of those early days teaching investors that that made sense. And um, that's probably helped the world, Mo, and you were there. The world's a better Good place. Job. I think yeah. so. I think so. Well, I had one other name. And I mean, once you say, once you've helped the world, this is going to be sort of a down. It's not that good. It's a little bit um, like the third act. You know, it's like, ah, we're get the car, Johnny, because this isn't a world saving thing like what we just spoke about. But um, it's HCA. They're saving one life at a time, Mo. Not everyone. 
But HCA, again, COVID situation here, the earnings have been harmed, the perception, the business harmed by people just staying at home, like so many things. Um, now, the climate and the sidewalks are happy, but HCA is another firm that's been uh, interrupted. Um, and, and, and we know that demographics are good for healthcare. Rich societies are willing to spend more for healthcare. So again, these longer-term trends are good for healthcare. But HCA, even though it, uh, and it, at the end of April it was down 48 percent uh, over the last 18 months, now it's just down 24 percent. It's still down uh, nearly 30 percent from the uh, you know the end of the year, and that's all related to the likelihood that revenues and earnings are going to be down a lot. So one of the ways to create value in the stock market is just to understand the difference between temporary problem and permanent problem. And some research is just not always in a book because the future isn't in a book, but you have to think. Small business has been harmed. HCA public company they can get basically money whenever they want. It's just a question of the valuation and management doesn't care because they can just raise their salary in case their stock values go down or issue more options. You know what I'm saying, Mo? So they have currency. They're going to benefit if small medical facilities go down. The big public hospitals are going to benefit. They've been putting up decent returns on assets over time, you know, upper single digits. They lever it a little bit, low double digits on returns. Their margins are in the mid-teens. That's certainly sustainable. And, uh, you know, their revenues, again, with demographics and Obamacare, what it was good for, raising health care revenue. I mean, and hospitals are beneficiaries. So, all their long trends are good. And right now, this thing is down a lot. I don't see any break in their long-term value. It's seven times EBITDA. Again, EBITDA over enterprise value is our cash-on-cash cash return if his private investors would go in and buy it. Seven times, I mean, I don't have a calculator, but what is that, 14% cash-on-cash? Cash? And then I never like to, you know, count on growth beyond GDP. And I just, is healthcare going to grow with GDP? Yes, rich societies want to pay for healthcare because it's an advanced uh, Maslow's hierarchy good. And so this one looks like it's 14% uh, it's cash on cash. And then, you know, investors are nominal GDP, not real. So that's another whatever, 5% on top of that, Mo. This looks like a 19% cash on cash return. Uh, HCA Healthcare. And uh, the balance sheet is, uh, I don't know. I think it's okay. Where the hell? I can't. Let's see. Here we go. Um, I, I don't see the balance. I'm looking for it. Did you see the balance sheet on this one? Uh, no, but I did, I did see yeah. this now. Um, when, of all the stocks we picked, I, 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 because we are analysts, I do tend to look and see what other analysts say about the stock. Yeah. Consensus rating on this is outperformed, but here's here's kind of this is intriguing because you don't see this very often, especially on these screens. Price is about you know ninety eight dollars a share. Price target the consensus price target is is one hundred and thirty six dollars a share. That's forty percent upside. Okay. And and if you look at its fifty two week high, which is like one hundred and fifty two bucks, if it gets back to that fifty two week high, that's fifty five percent upside. So even though revenue growth has been, at least for a 
a momentum guy, seemingly sluggish. And if, you know, when I see a company paying a dividend to me, it looks like it's kind of all right. It's 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 a mature company. Um, for for that kind of upside, if I'm if I'm wrong, and my compensation is twenty percent return, uh, you know, I'll take it. So based purely on the consensus forecast, and these are the guys that do it for a living, not guys like us who are having a couple of martinis and 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 looking <laughs> looking at it for five minutes. Clearly, they're seeing something, and there's some upside. So you can be you can be wrong on a lot of things, and uh, and still have a nice return on this if the if the target if it gets anywhere near its target price. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, one thing again, talking about the E versus PE sort of framework, what I would say is the hit to E appears to be temporary. You know, as soon as someone calls the all clear, people are going to need to go back and you know avail themselves of the medical sciences. I think that's been going on for 10,000 years. I think, uh, you know, Aristotle himself uh, recommended seeing the doctor. And so we're going to get back to that. But what's happened is the value decline, the price decline is a PE phenomenon. <clears throat> so, you know, Moe's applause meter, the applause is not good for going into a hospital right now. Now, I like to flip over PE and look at E over P. That's a yield, earnings over price. And there's two components to it. Um, you know, one component is the growth rate to earnings. People think about the PE in that regard, and they'll pay up for more growth. But they'll also pay up for more safety. When the bond yield goes down because there's more demand for a U.S. Treasury because of the safety, that drives up multiples on the stock market, which is a yield decline. So on this one, you have these two elements. Um, you might not get a big PE because it isn't really growing. You got a GDP population growth kind of grower, maybe a little more. But what you have is it's a safe industry. Uh, are people going to want health care? Yes, it's, I was waiting, but yes. So... Uh, what form, again, you know, they might have to build a few different buildings. They might have to have a special, you know, infectious disease department that's walled off from the heart department. You know, you're going to see some CapEx that has to go in. But then we're going to get back to the business of people paying a good portion of their annual compensation for health care. And you can count on it. Just like they buy food, they buy shelter, they buy health care. And, uh, and I think that it's, uh, it's, it's just one of those very unique opportunities for a few industries, this being one, hotels being another, um, where it, it's just uh, there's fear giving an opportunity for people that look out a little ways to the long term. So, Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, what's going on, Mo? I guess we should uh, take a break. We'll come back. I don't. The show's probably running over. We've got. We're. I mean, we're late to things and all that. I don't know if you have any time to do another segment. What's going on? You have a party or something? Or I've got a. Uh, I've got to get my uh, my formal my formal clothes on. Head out for uh, for cocktails at the country club. Okay. Well, I was going to do a little bowling later, but I think we're. They're still debating whether to clean the lanes. I don't know. But in any case, um, why don't we take a little break? We'll just do a couple things off the Fred site, and uh, we call it Walking Through National Economic Trends, and we will be right back right after this. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, Mo, look, I know you got to go. You got a guy waiting. Let me just take a couple quick moments here. Um, I'm on Fred. Fred, uh, what's fred.stlouisfed.org. You can go there. It's just a wealth of government data. And what jumps out at me in our limited time here is the constant maturity 10-year Treasury bond. Um, our entire careers, it's been going down. So back in September 1981, uh, this bond was at 15.8% yield. Again, you do the inverse of that. Um, that's a, a, you know, a yield. You look at uh, what the implied PE is, and it would be 6.3 times. And that makes sense. I remember looking at stocks at eight times thinking they weren't, you know, they weren't super cheap. Then it's been straight down. You had a long period where the yield was, you know, between five and seven during the 90s. It kind of moved around, but it's been just straight down, Mo. And now um, at the end of 2019, it was 1.92%. Again, the inverse of that is 52 times. Uh, 52 PE is a 1.92% E over P. And now at the end of June, it's 0.007. It's never been lower in our entire careers. That implies a PE on the 10-year bond of 142 times. So again, it's no shock that the S&P 500 is at peak levels in their you know, recent history, and it's because of the bond yield. That's all I can say, Mo. Uh, what do you say about that? Well, I'm glad you think it's interesting because last week when I looked up Fred and I found those chicken McNugget erasers, that was the most exciting thing that I, I think I've come across in the Fred part of the show. Well, this is a little better than that, Mo. Well, as a momentum guy, all I can tell you is I'm, I'm, I'm off to the country club um, it's cocktail hour here. I'm going to let you look at manufacturing trends and all that fascinating, fascinating stuff. So I'm going to leave you with the listeners. You can look at manufacturing GDP subgroups, and I'm going back to get some more information for hot from the yacht for next week. Well, I'm just going to be done right now, Mo. I can't go on without you on the show. So let's just thanks for listening, everybody. Um, sorry, we're a little uh, short this week, but that's three great ideas. One of which, Mo, you found. Um, are you going back to the same yacht or no? I might if I can get if I can go uh, if I can get some more from hot from the yacht. If not, I'll get something from the uh, country club or the golf course. Right. Well, you're that's a busy, busy man. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, see all our caveats, disclosures, historical shows going back a long way at www.thevalueguys.com, iTunes, and Spotify. And thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. See you next week, Val. All right. Bye, Mo.